Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Liberty Magazine, and on today's broadcast, we present part two of a conversation between two history and religious liberty experts. The first is Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, and the second is Dr. John Reeve, chair of the Department of Church History at Andrews University. Their topic, how can the past help us identify trends that may be taking place today that put religious liberty in jeopardy? The answer is, in some amazing and often disturbing ways. History easily reflects itself through today's actions, and we would be wise to be aware of those dark reflections. This conversation was recorded in the studios of the Three Angels Broadcasting Network. We join our two presenters as they turn their thoughts to the present with a careful eye on the past. Lincoln Steed begins the discussion. We were really waxing eloquent on church history and the Puritans and their excesses, as there were many. And I was reminding of the great heritage that we get by way of John Milton, who was secretary for foreign languages to Oliver Cromwell, very close associate. And he wrote Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained, as well as some other great works of literature. But let's talk about the application to today. What echoes do we see of that era and of that mentality today in in the United States and maybe in the English-speaking world. The reality is when Puritanism began, it was fighting for religious freedom. But what it meant was it wanted freedom for itself to exist. And when it did come into power, it restricted religious freedom because it had achieved its goal. Then I brought up Roger Williams as, as having been kicked out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony because of his religious dissidence and his desire to have a religious freedom. It didn't happen instantly, though. No, uh, They no. even offered him to be the pastor of the main church there, if you remember. Yes. I don't uh, know if it would have gone well. but No. And I think he knew that. But he wasn't disliked on first blush. No. They, they wanted to incorporate him, but they soon found out his views were a little different. And his views got him into trouble with them. And then when he left, he kind of becomes one of the main voices in America early on for religious freedom. Mm-hmm. The Pennsylvania experience and, and the whole thing that happens there is another voice for religious freedom. Yeah. But the current descendants of Roger Williams are largely the Baptists now. And the Baptists who have been strong on religious freedom, the Institute of Religious Freedom down at the... the Baylor Institute. Baylor Institute. Well, J.M. Dawson Institute in Baylor. There we go. But it's been closed up. It doesn't exist Correct, anymore. correct. And that corresponded with what you're referring to, sort of a rethinking of how they would present religious freedom. Because uh, they had been presenting religious freedom by separation from church and state, and now the majority of the Baptists seem to be calling for a Christian state in order to have religious freedom for Christians. And as we all know, with the Southern Baptists, they're not always that unified. No. <laughs> and in Washington, there's the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Freedom, and we work very closely with them, and their view is exactly as you stated the historical position. 
the religious liberty for all under the uh, model of separation of church and state. But more and more, there's a, a populist oh, call it's a move away. for a Christian nation that is saying, and you've been terming it as religious entitlement rather than religious freedom. Yeah. And it's the idea of religious freedom for me and my kind, but no religious freedom for anyone else. Well, they've never gone that far to say that, but that's implicit in that model. It's true. In many ways, the cat's out of the bag because this coalition and their actions in dealing with blocking people from Islamic countries and so on, they haven't said particularly bad things beyond we want to exclude them. But what they should have said in instead was, you know, this is not right to sort of marginalise whole religious groups under the excuse of terrorism or whatever. Right. But they, they've lost that opportunity. So they're not sensitive to the, the liberties of non-Christian, non-Baptists and so on. programs, you've emphasized that the rights of the minority are at the core of the understanding of religious freedom. Why don't you articulate that a little more in the current circumstance? The best I can do is I'll tell you an example. Recently, I got into a discussion with a black Muslim chaplain at a certain meeting, and he was a wonderful person. I really was impressed by him as an individual. I was a little troubled to hear a reiteration of the theology of of Nation of Islam and Farrakhan and so on. And you know, Louis Farrakhan's got a lot to answer for. You know, he appeared with Gaddafi and uh, when Gaddafi was attacking the US and he was in Iran recently when they were chanting death to America and so on. You know, I wouldn't want to be associated with that. But I told this fellow, I said, it shouldn't be necessary to argue out our differences so much that I'm 100% satisfied with your theology and you with mine before I can defend your right. I said, true religious liberty means that I grant you the right to be wrong, grossly wrong, to believe something that I find doctrinally offensive, but I will defend your right to believe that and to practice that to the death. Yeah. That's got to be religious liberty because you would want the reverse you know, we were talking about Adventists in their early days, marginalised, even persecuted. The other thought that they were a crazy little group. Yeah. I don't think that's the case today. We've become very respectable, which is not always a blessing. But it's in the extreme, just like freedom of speech. You know, it's fine to have a principle, but if that just means you allow people to say things that you're comfortable with, that agree with you, there's no freedom of speech. No. It's precisely when you defend the right of something that you find purely objectionable, incendiary or whatever then you have freedom of speech. And for the US to have continued religious liberty, it must defend what apparently is the indefensible. Yeah. And I'll say the obvious. It's absolutely obvious that an element of Islamic thinking leads directly to terrorism and terrorist activities. Doesn't mean by any means that all Muslims are so inclined, hardly. But even if you could connect that, as I just did with Islam, why would you restrict the practice of a faith? Right. And in fact, I'll go even further. This is, 
I haven't read this anywhere else, but I have to hold this as a principle. If there were a religion that was premised on sacrificing babies and all the rest, I would defend their right to believe whatever. If they sacrificed a child, they go to jail. You can't allow things that are against normal civil interaction. And I, as I say that, you've got to be careful about, as Scalia said, laws of general applicability that might snare a certain religious practice. Obviously, Daniel got caught in that where the councillors gave the king an idea for a law that was designed to snare Daniel. Correct. But different times, different religious groups have done things that may have harmed either themselves or other people in the name of their religion. You can't allow that because it's a general civil interest. But you still cannot restrict the right of someone to believe a religion. It's deeply held. And the US legal system is recognising that when you ask for religious accommodation, it's not because your church advances that, it's because you're conscience bound. Yeah. And Jefferson and the others greatly respected conscience. We have to honour a deeply held conscience position of an individual. But that doesn't mean that in the name of religion, you can declare jihad or uh, crusades not allowed or neo-Nazis and all the rest. It's fine to say neo-Nazi. No one likes Hitler. People forget that the neo-Nazism and some of these groups also refer to, to Christian theology. They've got a theological base, corrupt as it might be. So I give the right to people to believe things, but they can't do anything in the name of it. have to have a minority protection in religious liberty. You have to have the idea that those you disagree with need to have religious freedom. In Tennyson's poem, Ulysses, he has the uh, aged hero return from the Trojan Wars, wishing that he could take another adventure. And he says to his old sailor friends, he says, it's not too late to seek a newer world. Let's push off and, uh, you know, go where, wherever the winds may take us. For the Western world, in many ways, they had that sensibility. The old world, especially under the Dark Ages, had been a pretty fearsome, desolate place. But now with the age of exploration, off we go to the new world. Oh, that it had been so simple that this newer world was uh, to be the, the paradise they hoped, but it wasn't. Unfortunately, many of the same sins were visited on the new world. And when we study religious liberty and its yearnings and development under the Reformation, as it came to the new world, many of the same problems were brought across. And we need to recognize the continuum of man's search for freedom and also the continuing futility because those same breakers that so frustrated Ulysses in his efforts to get home are still breaking on the efforts of man to make their own homeland without God. We need to have God and his eternal principles of freedom for a true successful adventure. 
Hmm, what a beautiful and meaningful discussion between Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, and Dr. John Reeve, chair of the Department of Church History at Andrews University. If you'd like to listen to this program again and possibly share it with someone else, you can do so at www.libertymagazine.org. And while you're there, you'll find a lot of good resources to help you on your journey of understanding, discovery, and solidifying these truths, these religious liberty truths that we all need in our hearts and in our minds and in our communities. You'll find articles to read, television programs to watch, and radio podcasts to listen to, all at libertymagazine.org. And I recommend that you stop by, take a look, subscribe to the magazine while you're there too, libertymagazine.org. This program was sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. John Reeve and Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>